Hi, and welcome to the Rostrum Agency Managing Reputational Risk podcast with me, Grant Bather. In this series of podcasts, I'll be discussing crisis and reputation management from a public relations and media perspective. I'll take a look at the definition of a crisis, what it feels like to be engulfed in a media storm, the role of a crisis communications team, and what steps businesses and individuals can take to minimise media exposure around reputational risk. Each episode, I'll be joined by guests who will give their unique insight into managing reputational risk. And of course, I'll give my take from a PR perspective. Having started my career as a journalist before becoming a company spokesperson and PR professional, I've seen all angles of a crisis. So join me and my guests as we delve into the issues that play into managing reputational risk. I'm delighted to be joined by Oliver Fairhurst, Managing Associate at Lewis Silking. Oliver deals with intellectual property and reputational issues. So thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. To kick things off, how do you define a crisis? It really depends on the organisation. So sometimes it's it's obvious what a crisis is, uh, but for some organisations, you know, what might seem trivial at first glance is is actually really major to that business and sometimes depends on the sector they're in you know some some sectors they can't be seen to have any impropriety or 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 anything that might otherwise for other businesses not seem big issue but for others what seem might seem significant is not really a big issue for them and they kind of just brush it off so it really does depend i've worked with with clients in the fashion industry for instance and some for some of them being accused of copying another designer's products is you know really goes to the core of their business and their values and they take it very seriously but i know that some businesses in that sector they just sort of brush it off and you know taking the aldi example uh, you know for them calling the caterpillar might have seemed like a crisis to that business or maybe not a crisis but a sort of certainly a major reputation issue took that and changed it and changed the sort of narrative anyone advising businesses that face crises need to understand that that particular business will have its own perception of what a crisis is it's it's quite a brave move by by Audi to turn a potential you know, negative reputational issue to their advantage like you said for other organizations they will take a very very different approach absolutely uh, and i'm not saying that i agree with aldi's approach either you know i deal a lot with intellectual property and i i, I take in, <laughs> infringements quite seriously normally but you could see why for them that worked well they memified it to an extent and they even included a reference to it in their in their ad at christmas i think in the background you could yes. see but the caterpillar being sort of led away in handcuffs so uh, you know I, I think they they did what they felt was right for them um, but that wouldn't be right for all businesses and and for the sort of more you know the less challenger types they probably wouldn't have taken that sort of approach i think a challenger business a disruptor can often get away with a bit more both in in terms of responding to a crisis um but also just generally in how they treat compliance and, and other things the response that aldi gave and the the bring it on do you think that will have spooked a lot of other companies definitely it, it did spook quite a lot of businesses because they felt that what you know they, they probably had some sympathy for marks and spencers in that context and they send out similar requests for want of a better word um that people stop doing certain things and to have that turned against you when in your own view you you think you're in the right is difficult but i, I mean you you have to plan for these things 
and have in mind how the other side or the, the other person or the press might react to something. So I would typically, if we were thinking of doing something, maybe it's starting legal claim or, or whatever, trying to work out how people might react to that. You might not always get it right, but at least you've got a reasonable range of things that might happen and you can prepare for those. And I think with all crisis management reputational issues, it's all about the preparation. It's about knowing which way things might go so that when things happen, you've got a plan. Definitely. And, and as part of that preparation, do you look at things like the, the likely impact on social media? Yeah. Um, and it can be very difficult to know how big something is when it's on social media, um, and especially on some some of the platforms where you don't really have the insight into what, what's going on. So an example being uh, stories on, on in Instagram, they go up and disappear very quickly. You don't really know whether it's been used it's not like with twitter where you can see how many retweets it's had Um, it can be difficult to track so it can actually be difficult to work out without technology essentially to know how big an issue is and you see a few tweets and you think well this just could be the tip of the iceberg but you don't know it might be the whole iceberg (laughs) so in which case it's just three people with you know a handful of followers is that really a big issue Sometimes it isn't a big issue immediately and, and you think it's, oh, well, there's not very much there. And then it gets picked up and, and then it becomes a bigger issue. So, so I think social media has to certainly be built into any plan. Um, but it is difficult to sometimes gauge how big an issue social media is. Yeah, it's definitely something that, that I've seen. So the journalists now aren't having to find the story. The story finds them. So they go, well, well there's 15, 20 people talking about the same thing. I need to understand what this is because it's not just one person and it's not just one person with three followers. It's a combined collective of people. And then they might do some extra research and find there are Facebook groups around it and things like that. So yeah, social media is, is huge, but it's understanding how people are using it. Yeah. I mean, and social media is being used, you know, it's it's just take the Ukraine example at the moment, Uh, the vast majority of the Ukrainian government's, press activity is taking place on on social media and that gives them access to huge numbers of people and makes things that they say very big news very very quickly because everyone's watching them um so in that sense social media is obviously a big thing from a legal perspective what would you say to to any clients that, that start getting you know tweets coming into to them regarding let's say you know a, a reputational issue it, how would you help them manage that some of the issues are not that new in the sense that it's not only since the advent of social media that people have written into businesses it's just that it used to be a sort of different type of person really that that would write in that would write into a business and it would rarely get published the responses from my understanding of those sorts of things would, would would typically be quite similar they're kind of oh you know thank you and you know quite polite and making not much of a comment and I think normally that would be the response to anything on social media where you would say you might point to a press statement um, if that's if that's what you've done and that at least gives you consistency and it makes clear that the individuals who are, who are running social media accounts you know which quite often could be a lot of people uh, are towing a similar line because each individual tweet will be taken as the sort of position of the business so getting consistency in in responses to those things is probably the most important thing if you're going to respond at all it's not always a good idea to respond or to speak on twitter because 
if you reply on Twitter, that reply will then be retweeted, it will be responded to, it will, it's, you know, it's the sort of petrol on the fire it can be, especially if you get it wrong. Social media is very intense. And the people that, that run the social media accounts and that are particularly concerned about how a business, and again, it depends on the business, but appears on social media, their gut instinct will be, we need to just respond quickly. We need to do this all very, very quickly. But sometimes that's not the right thing to do. And sometimes it is better just to say, right, let's wait. Let's see what happens. The court of public opinion, even if social media doesn't give us that much time, the court of public opinion usually will. And depending on the situation, it could be doing nothing and not really replying to it is the best thing to do. Again, it very much depends on the business but um, and the issue. But I wouldn't just give free reign to the social media team to just kind of keep on responding. It's like it needs to be consistent. It needs to bear in mind what that particular issue is um, and whether that's something that needs to be, it should be responded to at all or whether it should just be completely, you know, zip it until we've looked at this properly. So we've talked a lot about social media, but it's about much more than that. In your intro, um, I mentioned that you deal with reputational issues. So a client comes to you and says, we've got a reputational issue to give uh, intellectual property. Someone is copying our work. What steps do you take and, and how do you help those organisations or individuals? Well, in, in that situation, it would normally be the person who's been accused of copying. So essentially a brand of some sort a a retailer maybe or a a fashion brand might uh, release a product and someone will comment on the fact that it's similar to something that they've done or they might it doesn't have to be a product it could be an advert it can be a song it can be all kinds of things that that might be subject to an intellectual property right they will they will receive that quite often through social media and they will not know immediately what the issue is or how or what their position is on it. Now, when something comes in and says, oh, here's a product that's, that's been copied or this looks a lot like my picture that I did and I published, there's a fact, there's a, a, an investigation that needs to be done. Did anyone, did the person who, did, who, who produced whatever has been alleged to be infringing, did they know about this? Did they copy it? If not, had they ever seen it? And sometimes it's not, it's not obvious, in which case you don't really want to be saying very much, especially if you're worried that there's going to be a, a claim brought against you, because you know that you say a position and then you might have to later on change that position. Um, sometimes because of the for legal reasons, you know, you can't you can't put things in in legal documents that that you don't believe to be true. So if you later find you can be in a bit of trouble in that kind of situation where there's a threat of legal proceedings. Um, not saying very much would probably be the right choice. Uh, and you'd go with the kind of, oh, you know, we're looking into this. And if you want to be casual, so, sometimes, depending on the client, they will be. And uh, they'll say, you know, we'll DM you or, you know, we'll take this up yeah. with you or something. And, yeah. and it can be dealt with like that, reasonably friendly. And then, you know, you look into it. And if you find that, yeah, actually, someone's done something wrong here, then you probably need to sort it out commercially it might be a sort of settlement maybe or it might just be see you know see what happens but you've got to know first of all what your position is and if you're reasonably confident you'll never be a hundred percent no you know sure and but if you're reasonably confident there's no problem then that probably dictates your view and your, your position will be we didn't copy or we didn't do whatever is alleged to have been done so I, I think it's quite important to take that time early on and do the digging it doesn't have to be a long time 
could be a few hours and I know that a few hours can feel like a lot a long time but better that than do everything half cocked and you really you want to have worked things out reasonably well if you can uh, before before saying very much and then you, you need to think about whether you've got any other legal issues so I just it depends on on businesses sometimes you know with the data breach you might have to uh, notify uh, uh, the regulator on that the information commissioner or you might have a product recall type issue you know if someone puts a picture up of something and it's really dangerous because it fell apart and there's yeah. shards of something sticking out that's a different thing and you, you might have to take other other steps as well but i think the main thing is is that investigation bit find, finding out what's happened uh, so you can assess and you get your legal advisors to sort of advise you on that and then once you know what the position is that's when the pr bit comes in and there can be a bit of overlap because sometimes you there can be a bit of pr of you know, well, you know, we're looking into this and, and and I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, I don't know, uh, we don't know. Yeah. You, you, you've you just, you've sent us this tweet and we just don't know what, what the position is, but we're looking into it. Um, and I think seeming to be on the front foot, even while you're, you know, under the bonnet, you're, you're quite busy and yeah. um, seeming to be calm, um, I think is the key to presentationally making it is sort of like you know the the duck on on the water you know the, the sort of feet, feet maybe flapping underneath but but that they look quite serene um and uh, that's that's the approach you want to give in those sorts of scenarios is, is you know we're, we're we're looking at it we're sorting it out we're not stressed we're not worried about it but we're taking it seriously something that i advise all the organizations that that i help with any kind of reputational issues from a media perspective and a, a PR perspective it is being that source of verified information very quickly be that go-to for all the stakeholders so if you don't know all the facts at the time let them know that but let them know that you're investigating so they know that you are giving them regular updates so that when something does happen you're then updating the stakeholders what's what's no good is saying yeah we're looking at we're looking into it and then just radio silence um, there, there needs to be that update to say we've had a look and this is what we found so far. You know, you see it with you know, large scale issues. Um, let's say the Alton Towers smiler crash. Immediately as that you know, after that happened, the CEO said, "Really tragic incident. We're trying to find out what happened." And then you know he said, "I'll give an update in three hours or maybe." And then every three hours he'd given an update so you know, it may have been that one of those was i'm afraid i've got no more to tell you than what i told you three hours ago but i've told you that i'm going to tell you something so here it is but then overlaying that with the facts as and when they emerge and bringing in those other parties whether it be the regulator for a data breach or or something like that to go we are the verified source of the information and the uh, these are the external organizations that are helping with that yeah, and that Smiler one is a good example because they'll have known that they were going to get a huge bit of litigation against them. You know, they would have known that they were going to have to pay out significant sums of money for the injuries that were, that were suffered. They would have known that a case is coming, so they would want to say, say as little as possible, and their lawyers probably would have said to them to say little as possible. Yeah. But at the same time, there's a tension because there is also you can't just go radio silent when people have been severely injured on a roller coaster. You need to you need to address it and deal with it, and, and you know, as you say, kind of give updates to 
show that you're on top of it and you're taking it seriously. And what about more recent events? No, I think what I thought was it was this shell. I, don't, I doubt, I don't know, but I doubt that everyone in leadership at Shell will have known that they've just bought this tanker load of, of oil from Russia. Yeah. I imagine it was probably cleared at quite a high level, given it's sort of, you know, huge. And I suspect that there would have been parts of that business that really ought to have known that didn't. And there would have been a period where they've been trying to work out what happened. Did we actually do this? Okay, okay we did buy it. Why did we buy it? And then there would have been, and there, there was what was the interesting thing was that there was a, you know, arguably legitimate reason for buying it. Well, so they said anyway. They said that the um, if they hadn't of, they didn't have enough supplies to keep four courts in Europe topped up. I don't know if that's true or not, but that is an arguable reason that why something why they might have done something. But quite sensibly, they didn't lead on that because that just would have mis uh, misinterpreted the mood. And yeah. uh, and and instead, they came up with a very you know so far a robust response that has apologized and, and it wasn't a sort of weaselly apology either it was actually you know we just got this wrong and we're sorry yeah. and they've donated all the profits to uh, a charity that's operating in ukraine also they're going to my reading of it is that that's a bit of a scandal oh well they've dealt with this really quickly and and, and it's not doesn't seem to have taken off you know I, I feel like they did a pretty good response on that and that is it's a good example of, of doing something and responding properly yeah, I think there's been more examples of that over the past, let's say, two or three years than we've probably seen in the previous 10 of companies doing something and realising pretty quickly that what they did was not appropriate. Companies now and individuals will go, this is a decision we took. These are the reasons we, we, we made that decision, but it's not the right one and we struggled with it internally for a while. So let's just tell everyone that we, we messed up. And this is what we're doing to rectify it. It's the, you know, the three R's approach that I've talked about in in previous podcasts. It's the, you know, regret, reason, remedy. We're really sorry this happened. This is why we made the decision we made, but this is what we're doing to remedy the situation. Well, they seem to have followed that expressed apology and, and not, as I say, not a Weasley apology. They gave reasons why, you know, securing supplies of oil is important, whether we want to be buying oil and using oil or not, it is important. Yeah. Um, and then they've, They've said they won't do it again. They'll sell their Russian business and they'll donate the profits from that that tanker to to the charity. So they, they, they've done that, and I think it's and that it shows because it, it just you know maybe this, by the time this podcast comes out, this might seem outdated and something terrible might have happened as a result of it. But it seems to me like they've done a really good uh, a really good response on that. Yeah, it's, it's large corporations being willing to change a lot quicker than they would have done it you know it's it's that that tanker in the ocean that takes hours to turn around now they need to make that adjustment very very quickly and they are yeah i've got one final question for you again it's a question that i ask all my guests is what advice would you give to organizations or or individuals that experience a reputational issue or are looking at ways to minimise and, and mitigate their exposure to reputational risk? Pick up on what I said before, which was there's a distinction to be made between if, you, if your organisation has done it 
whether the organisation has not done it categorically, uh, or whether you don't really know. And I think managing based on those sort of categorizations is probably a good way of then minimising what, what happens as, as a result. Because if you know you've done it, then you can deal with it quickly and decisively, and that will mitigate and minimise that exposure. And if you've not done it, you can categorically say that but it can be more difficult to tell people that you've not done something when they think you might have and then if you don't know just as we were talking about dealing dealing with that lack of knowledge and sometimes it's right just to be open you know sometimes you can't get away with saying you don't know because you should know yeah but if it's understandable that you just don't know you're a big organization you just don't know what's going what's happening that's a fair point to make when you're coming up with a response it's sort of sensible i think to Bear in mind this is, you know, it's called Rumsfeldian wisdom, the, you know, the known knowns and the known unknowns and the unknown unknowns. You never know what you're going to say. If it, if it's going, you, you might not know what might come out after you've said it. Yeah. Um, so it'd be worth bearing that in mind. And when you're coming up with a response or whether you're taking a certain approach, not to be tripped up by the things you either know you don't know or you don't know you don't know. That can, that can be something that would trip people up. I mean, from a legal perspective, I think there's, there's probably two things. I think one is that you have to look at the underlying issue and is there something there that you don't want to make worse? Uh, so it can be, you know, with a sort of sexual misconduct of a senior leader in a business, that kind of thing. You've got so many obligations involved there that you really need to bottom those out and to think about those before you really talk to the press or have any sort of reputational approach agreed because, you, you know, you've got Potentially, you can have a victim and you can have the, the alleged perpetrator who themselves might be an employee and have their own employment rights. So you don't want to make things worse. I think that's worth bearing in mind. And there's also obligations in, in certain sectors, you know, as I said, data or product recalls or that kind of thing. We don't want to make anything worse. I think one thing that I have picked up on or certainly seen is sometimes a very aggressive approach to getting things taken down. And that can be very counterproductive psychologically a response to something what is a perceived attack on a on a business or a person can sort of force them to pull down the shutters and and not be very introspective and also to to attack and the, the instinct can be you need to get this down immediately off social media or you need to stop the press from publishing this article which you know, I should say is not always possible. <laughs> um, but sometimes sending out really aggressive letters and very shouty letters or trying to take a sort of aggressive stance, not even necessarily just through lawyers, that can be a sort of, you know, on a PR side, taking a really aggressive approach. That can be very counterproductive, especially if you then get found out later to, to have been wrong. One of the increasing issues in the defamation and, and reputational sphere is slap its strategic litigation or lawsuits against public participation and essentially it's sort of intimidation of sometimes journalists um so the one that's being used as an example of that at the moment is a, a sort of wealthy businessman who who issued proceedings against against a journalist although you know it's gone all the way to trial so query whether or not that is actually you know, sort of strategic or whether it's just someone trying to enforce their, their rights I don't, I don't really have any comment on that but there's a, there's a real focus on being overly aggressive sometimes and it can be counterproductive 
sometimes taking a breath and working out a plan it might be a better route through than um taking an immediately aggressive approach definitely i i've seen that numerous times if you're aggressive to interested parties stakeholders journalists they're gonna you know they're gonna turn up the heat they're gonna go there's something here or we're gonna do some more digging and find out if there is something here whereas as we said earlier if you go back with the facts as you know them and say we don't know everything but we're working hard to find out the facts or work through what you've told us just give us a bit of time it is very hard to do just taking a pause taking a breath and going right what do we know what do we need to know as soon as possible and how do we then plan around that and plan our response whether it be the first hour 24 hours week what's that going to look like based on what we know so far and then that gets updated you know throughout the journey and i think that is a a perfect way to to finish the conversation so thank you very much for your time it's been really great and i'm sure we'll have you on again soon so thank you very much thanks very much my thanks once again to oliver fairhurst from lewis silkin join me next time we'll be looking at more examples of how to manage reputational risk and thanks for listening This is a Rostrum Agency production, produced, mixed and edited by Rostrum. Rostrum is a full-service communications agency, offering PR, content and influencer marketing, social media, training, design and much more. Rostrum is among the UK's top 5 B2B agencies and a PR Week top 100 agency, specialising in financial services, professional services, consumer and corporate campaigns, as well as crisis management, content marketing and social media. Rostrum creates campaigns and content to help clients punch above their weight. Rostrum measures everything it does, delivering exceptional value for clients' budgets. To find out more, search rostrum.agency.